الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله هو أهل التقوى وأهل المغفرة وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له سيدنا ونبينا وهادينا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله يا أيها النبي إنا أرسلناك شاهدا ومبشرا ونذيرا وداعيا إلى الله بإذنه وسراجا منيرا من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له من يعصي الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يعتصم بالله فقد هدي إلى صراط مستقيم أما بعد Dear committed Muslims, brothers and sisters Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has favored those who listen to him. He is the companion of those who are integrated into him. And as we listen to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his meaningful book and by his guiding prophet, when we listen to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we realize that he is taking us on a journey as we past the years of our lives, he is taking us on a journey of very significant proportions. The ayat in the Quran speak about the heavens and the earth. How many ayat you read in the Quran that mentions as-samawati wal-ard? Thus, our attention span 
extends to try to understand within our God-given potential the meanings of a samawati wal ard. Allah speaks about dunya wal How many times in the Quran you encounter the words dunya and al or al hayat dunya and al So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these ayat is stretching our attention time-wise in addition to the other dimensions of existence between where we are now in this world and the impending life and existence in the coming world. Allah speaks about what secular language refers to as natural phenomena. Allah speaks about mountains and rivers, seas and oceans, rain and precipitation, agriculture and forests, etc. There are many ayat in the Quran that flex our concentration on what seems to be a growing reality. But then we, because of the different influences upon us, especially the immature religious influences upon us, we begin to live in a very constricted world or in a very tight mentality. Allah in our abundant existence reminds us of his bounties and his blessings to us. وَأَسْبَغَ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعَمَهُ ظَاهِرَةً وَبَاطِنَةً وَإِن تَعُدُّوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُحْصُوهَا He has abundantly spread into your existence his blessings and bounties. That which is obvious and that which is concealed. And if you were to attempt to count Allah's blessings and bounties, you're not going to be able to tally it. But then we, it's good to think about your own self in your own life. It's healthy if you do so with Allah's instructions. Think about yourself or think about the social psychology that engulfs us all. They want to exclude Allah from all of this. 
All of these dimensions that Allah Jalla wa'ala is opening our eyes on, they want to shut our eyes as far as Allah is concerned. So when we have good health, we don't think of good health as being a blessing and a bounty from Allah. Subhana. We begin to attribute good health to ourselves. Oh, I have good health because of me, not because of Allah, Jalla wa'ala. The same thing if someone has extra money, if someone is wealthy, he doesn't attribute the acquisition of that wealth to Allah, Jalla Sha'nu. Oh no, he attributes it to him or herself. I've gained this because of my talents, because of my merits, because of my superiority, etc. When we begin to behave like this, we begin to disconnect from Allah. That normal and natural acknowledgement of Allah as being the source of our livelihood when we begin to distance ourselves from Allah then what happens Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes internal factors to work against us we begin to work against ourselves we begin to fight ourselves. Not only that, but also the world itself, the laws of the world that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put into operation, they also begin to turn against us. And then we find, after some years, we find ourselves living a life that is depressing or a life that we want out of. Some of us have gone many stages ahead. They've enmeshed themselves in the materialistic world to such a degree that they feel like they don't want to be in it. Why do you think people begin to become addicts? Because they want to have their mind and their consciousness absent from the world that they belong to. And then take it to the umpteenth degree, they commit suicide. Why do you think people commit suicide? Where did, how did all of this begin? The departing moment was when we closed our attention towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِلَّا عِبَادَ اللَّهِ الْمُخْلَصِينَ The exception to what you just heard are Allah's subjects who are devout, who are sincere, and who are loyal to Allah jalla wa'ala. One of the 
clues to our departure from Allah is when a person feels that they own something. It's, it's, it's something not many people think about. No one, barely anyone talks or writes about the moment when you feel you own, you possess, you have something that you call yours. If you can just think about that feeling in yourself, you will realize that that's, that is a departure from Allah. In this life, a mature Muslim realizes, I don't own anything. Of course, legality and all of this stuff that we have in our world, there's paperwork and stuff that says, oh, I have this car or I have that building or I have that land or I have that yacht or I have whatever. But if you fall under the influence of that piece of legality, that piece of paper, it goes to your ego. And when you begin to feed your ego, you begin to distance yourself from Allah. Ta'alat hikmatu. I own, I possess, I have, I have this, you don't have that. And what is this? The only thing you have in life is your hasanat and your sayyat. Those are the only things you have. If you think you have something else, something more, then you are not using Allah's measurement. You are using the measurements of this world. You can't make what is wholesome and what is toxic, you can't make them the equivalents of each other, even though what is more toxic may be more impressive to you. The humble personality of Allah's Prophet. They offered him everything he may have imagined. Anything he wanted, he could have had. Anything he could have possessed. He turned all of that down. They came to him, okay, you want money? We can give you all the money you want. He said, no. Why? Because in the heart of him, he knows that possession is not his. They told him, okay, if you want to have sexual relations, we can facilitate all of that for you. He turned that down. Power, if you want power, you can have all the power you want. He said, no. 
Why did he say no to all of this when we have people in today's world who would jump at the opportunity to have a minuscule share of what was offered to Allah's Prophet? What's the difference? The momental, psychological difference. It's that the, the Prophet of Allah did not want to possess anything. He didn't want to own anything. And the people around us, and may Allah exclude us from being included among them, they want to have it for themselves. This is the parting line between the character of Allah's Prophet and the character of these types of individuals that we have around us in today's world. The Prophet's son dies as a baby and it just happened happens on the day of his death there was a solar eclipse and then people they wanted to attribute this occurrence to Allah's Prophet he didn't want to have he did not want to have possess that attribution he said the sun and the moon are two presentations of Allah's authority and power they do not eclipse for anyone This world now that wants us to think in a phobic way, this world, its materialistic masters, they run into existential, universal human problems. But they don't want to return to that moment of connection with Allah. We'll give some examples. celibacy the church said there can be no divorce they lived with that idea for hundreds of years and then after that they found out after fighting Allah's nature in man that they lost so they had to permit divorce when they permitted divorce, did they do so saying Islam had the Allah, the Quran, the Prophet of Allah had the answer? No. They reached an Islamic solution but wanted to disregard Allah and the committed Muslims of Allah. They want to say, oh no, that doesn't exist. We found out that divorce is a necessity of life. And we found that out through trial and error and they didn't want to see that Allah gave them that solution to spare them all the misery that they had to go through. On another issue, maybe a more simplistic issue, breastfeeding. There was at one time 
when I was, when yours truly was born, the, the fad, the trend out there was to feed your babies these solutions that they have. You go to the drugstore, you go to the pharmacy, you go to the wherever, you obtain it, you put water, whatever in it, you mix it and you feed it to the babies. And that's healthier. And then, after a lapse of time and the casualties involved, they found out, no, breastfeeding is the best. وَالْوَالِدَاتُ يُرْضِعْنَ أَوْلَادَهُنَّ حَوْلَيْنِ كَامِلَيْنِ And mothers are to breast, breastfeed their babies, their children, two cycles. حَوْلَيْنِ Two complete cycles. Hawlaini kamilain. Some interpreters say that means two years. Some would say it means two nine month periods. Because you were in the womb of your mother for nine months. After you leave the womb of your mother, the two cycles are two nine months, meaning 18 months. Now when they, the scientists and the secularists and the materialists and all, when they found out these formulas that they said are more healthy for, are healthier for the babies, they found, they said, no, that's not going to work. We have to go back to breastfeeding. That's healthier. And there are studies on this concerning the immune system and all but did they recognize that the solution to one of the problems they encountered came from Allah? No, they don't want to do that. Because they departed from Allah in that moment when they denied His blessings and bounties upon them. And this can be said about capital punishment. It'd be interesting I haven't come across a thorough survey investigation of societies that apply capital punishment as compared to those or contrasted with those who do not apply capital punishment to see where the level of crime is. Is it higher in one or in the other? When we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sanctioned capital punishment for certain crimes. The discovery that they still have to make to reach the information that is in the Quran is the destruction of riba. Riba usury is causing global chaos in the economies, in the financial systems of the world. Now they still are insisting on their banking practices and they are pursuing a global economy with riba foundations, with usury. Allah tells us that's not the way to go. And if you continue like that, there's going to be war. It's not going to be some economic failure some depression or anything it's going to be war Allah is telling the usurious the managers of this usury system 
you're put on notice. Fa'zanu, you're put on notice that a war is coming. And you'd think that once they discover, if they discover, if it's not too late, that riba which the which is the cause of almost all the serious social, economic, military, political problems in the world. You'd think after they'd realize something is going wrong here, that they would acknowledge the truth in Allah's book. But from previous experiences, it's either going to be too late or they are going to perish by the functions of their own ego. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. But between now and when it happens, there's no need for us to suffer. I just want to remind you of an incident in our Prophet's lifetime in which when he entered the masjid, the the musalla, he'd find someone always praying, always in the masjid. Then the Prophet asked, but who supports him or his family? He was, the Prophet was told, it's his siblings. The Prophet said, his siblings worship Allah more than he does. Kulluhum, the Prophet's words, Kulluhum a'badu min. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ودعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear committed brothers and sisters Hopefully now you have a feel for the expanse and the horizon that Allah and His Prophet intend us to be in and where we are today. Is everyone living these horizons? Or are we locked into a particular mentality and a particular phobia The mentality and the phobia that some of us are incarcerated in does not permit us in our khutbas, in our 
jama'as, in our umras, in our hajj, they do not permit us to understand the horizon of Allah and His Prophet in the real world, in real time. They don't permit it. You can go to the masajid all around and out of a hundred, maybe you'll find one or two. And these one or two are the hope for the future. Let us take some of the real life issues that we should be aware of in light of the information coming to us from Allah and the instructions thereof coming to us from His Prophet. Let us look at it. What do we say? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We are brothers. واعتصموا بحبل الله جميعا ولا تفرق المسلم للمسلم كالبنيان All of these ayat and all of these hadiths place us in a fraternity peaceful relationship closeness to each other Okay, that's what Allah and His Prophet are saying Look at the real world What is happening? Are we in a close relationship with each other? Do we consider ourselves, our lives, our families, our societies to be sacrosanct? If we do, then we have to ask ourselves, then why are these wars going on? Why is it? And there's details to the wars. You don't stop here. You go a little further and you say, in these wars, why are we killing each other? What's the reason for that? And the answer has to come from Allah and His Prophet, and it has to be pronounced by those who have the responsibility of the Qur'an and the Sunnah on their shoulders. The plan, there's a war in the making. Make no mistake about it. They are planning, we, we are already inundated with all sorts of wars and battles and skirmishes and feuds all over the place. In addition to all of that, they are planning they, the tyrants, those who want to own the planet and want to go into space and own other planets in space, they're planning another war. And we're not, no, no one's supposed to mention this. No, 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 this is not, they tell you, this is not Islamic. Where did that mentality come from? Who told you I can't think about someone who's planning not only to kill me as an individual, but to kill me as 1.9 or 2 billion Muslims in the world? Can't think about that? I can't open my mind. It's haram to think about that. They want to move now. This is part of their planning. They want to take out the foreign forces from Syria and now place Saudi forces, 
Emirati forces, Egyptian forces, Jordanian forces, Qatari forces, they want to place them in Syria. That is a recipe for another dimension of the disasters that keep on unfolding in our ignorance. Our ignorance permits this to happen. And then they want to carve out of Syria three cantons, three mutually hostile entities. When all of this is happening, what do you think we should be saying from the khutbah, from the minbar, at this time, in our khutbahs? What should we be saying? Should we be looking the other way and saying, oh, nothing is happening? If you want to tune into the khutbah in Mecca today, the person who gave the khutbah, Shuraim, that person was denied Twitter. His Twitter account was closed two weeks ago. That didn't bother him. He's more loyal to his masters. He gets up today on the haram and he says dua for the Saudi troops that are fighting. Fighting against who? You'd think they'd be fighting against Israelis. That's a number one priority of all Muslims in the world. No, they're not fighting against Israelis. They're fighting against Muslims. As one viral piece of information went around they want to liberate Iraq the Saudis want to liberate Iraq from the Iraqis they want to liberate Syria from the Syrians they want to liberate Libya from the Libyans they want to liberate Somalia from the Somalis they want to liberate Yemen from the Yemenis but they don't want to liberate Palestine from the Israelis. This is the t- this is the mentality that has us where we are today. What are they speaking about when all of these plots and plans are in progress? What do they? What does their conscience agree with them to speak about? Last week. The day after the Jumu'ah, last Jumu'ah, there was this staged attack on Syria. Then we had on the satellite TV station called Al Arabiya, we had one of their announcers say, and I quote, Shukran Trump, لِأَنَّكَ ضَرَبْتْ Suriya." Now, potentially, millions and millions of people are watching this pers- person, and in the heat of that attack, he says, thank you, Trump, for attacking Syria. You listen to something like that, and then you have the ayat and the hadiths in front of you that we are all brothers. We are all one society in this world. We the Muslims. And then you listen to this type of thing and what comes to your mind? Tell me, if you're an average thinking person, what comes to your mind? Then, the day before yesterday, Wednesday, the ruling family in Arabia inaugurates their first theater, cinema. 
18th of April. You'd think, and then everyone is talking about how progressive this is. Not everyone, but most of what we hear and listen to, this is a step forward. Saudi Arabia right now is parting from its obscurantist past. AMC, which is one of the main theater chains in the United States, is planning on building 350 theaters or cinemas in Saudi Arabia. This is included in that 2030 vision of MBS. This is how he thinks he is going to move the people in Saudi Arabia out of their condemned past, he wouldn't put it in those words, into an enlightened and civilized future. And then everyone is sort of either very enthusiastic about this or reservedly optimistic about this. Imagine if the same ruling family said, we are going to build our first factory that will manufacture our own cars in this country. Now that would have been a step in the right direction. A car made in Saudi Arabia. Or, let's get a little more simplistic here. A motorcycle factory. A motorcycle made in Saudi Arabia. Or we can even go be more humble. A factory that manufactures bicycles, bicycles made in Saudi Arabia. None of that. If they want to think when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is stimulating our minds on the real issues of life, here they are, the way to have the Saudi society progress is to begin to open these theaters. And in that inauguration ceremony, the day before yesterday, the previous ambassador to Saudi Arabia, who is the criminal responsible for this division in the Islamic Center, his daughter was attending that inauguration. And then they charged 75 riyals. It's something like 27 dollars and 70 cents that was the ticket to enter to see and what film did they choose to be the first film on display black panther i want to know who made that decision i'm very curious to know who made that decision black panther they didn't choose a film like sense and sensibility a film like Hercules, or even something like Sleeping Beauty. They chose Black Panther. You know we are about to enter turbulent times when this begins to happen. Now, I want to jog your memory. This is the first cinema in Saudi Arabia 
in 35 years. Do you know what was happening during the 1990s? The religious establishment in Saudi Arabia was on a vicious campaign against satellite dishes. They would break into homes, they would do whatever possible to get rid of satellite dishes. Seems like they lost. They didn't give up. What came after that was a campaign by Hayat al-Amr bil Ma'roof and An-Nahi an al-Munkar, a campaign to do away with the internet. And they lost that battle. And then it went from the internet to the cell phones. The cell phones that have cameras on them, they dueled with whoever it was in their own kingdom against people having cell phones. They lost that battle. And then they went to Facebook and Twitter and they did their battle against Facebook and Twitter. And they eventually lost that battle. Where are they now? Ask yourself. These types of people who were as vocal as can be just 20, 30 years ago against these instruments of technology, where are they now? Can anyone please think for us for a moment? Ask yourself, where are they? And if some of them are still around, what are they saying? Much less, what are they doing? Tell us. They didn't disappear. Where are they? The first country in the Arabian Peninsula to have internet service was Kuwait. In 1996, Kuwait, which is the cousin of Saudi Arabia, they had internet services. You know why they had internet services? Because the American troops there wanted to facilitate co communication with themselves and with their families. Had nothing to do with Islam. The last two countries to have internet services in them in the totality of the Arabian countries. The last two countries were Saudi Arabia and Syria. Saudi Arabia because of quote unquote religious arguments. Of course they lost, it's there now, but at the time. And Syria because of security and military justifications. Then we have, why can't we, why can't we look at the real world? We have, I want to remind you of the fiqhi issues. What were these fuqaha, these ulama? And please don't misunderstand me, this is not an assault on the status or the importance of fuqaha and ulama. 
it is an expose of the false pretense of being fuqaha and ulama in the Arabian Peninsula. Instead of pursuing the horizons of the ayat of the Quran and the hadiths of the Prophet, what did they give us? And then probably towards that end having something equivalent to NASA. Yeah, why can't we? We Muslims are very qualified. We're intelligent. We get good grades. We work hard. So why are we behind? Because we have these types of speakers for Islam that imposed upon us the centrality of Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn al-Jawzi. Now, may Allah have mercy on them. I'm not taking away from the good that they did. But you don't eclipse Allah and His Prophet with the opinions of Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn al-Jawzi. You don't do that. And that's that's what they did to us. So in, in their understanding of their own fiqh, which they have a lot of money to have it go around, they told us that the earth, that the earth is flat. The earth is flat. They told us it is permissible to have sex with underage girls. They told us in order for employees, men and women working in the same office, in order for them to be mahram to each other, a man has to breastfeed from the woman in that office. They told us it is permissible, not all of them of course, but this comes from that obscurantistic kingdom of Arabia. They told us it's permissible for a man to have sex with his dead wife. Imagine where the world is and where they are. They told us, they, they, they beat to death the details of wudu and the torture in the grave and the mannerism of urinating. Look at where the world is and look at where they are. This is a kingdom that is schizophrenic. And they began giving out doctorate degrees that go into the detail of how permissible it is to kiss or how the nature of releasing air from your rear end should be. Ya Allah, you are witness to all of this. They drowned these types of people. They drowned the Muslim world in this type of information, closed their minds and made it possible for the wars that are killing us today. And they have the gall to quote the Qur'an and the Prophet. And then they told us that bathing in or drinking the urine of a camel is therapeutic.
And they spoke about how it is not permissible for a father to be in the privacy of his own daughter. Add to that what they are doing. This is their talk. Which led to all of this. You'd think this is a time of tawbah for these so-called ulama who are parroting that line. This is the time of their tawbah. Can't they realize now that they've been set up? They fooled and they lied to the rest of the Muslims in the world. And they themselves were recruited to these wars of division and bloodshed and hostilities and bad feelings among all the Muslims of the world. So how do you think? How do you think the public attitude is going to be? We sow what we reap. We reap what we sowed. We planted a very bitter idea in our midst. And now we are tasting the bitterness of that idea. In Palestine, in the last four Jumu'ahs, there have been demonstrations, protests against the Israeli theft of the Holy Land. What does this person do? The king of that evil kingdom, what does he do? He gives some committee $150 million for Al-Quds. And $50 million for UNRWA. That's the United Nations Relief Organization that takes care of Palestinian refugees. $50 million to UNRWA, $150 million to some type of outfit in Jordan that takes care of some type of maintenance issues in Jerusalem or something along those lines. At the same time, that evil king in that evil kingdom, within that evil family, at the same time, they are shoveling over hundreds of billions of dollars to the imperialists and the Zionists who are masterminding all of these wars and using the ignorance that is promoted by such so-called ulama from the Arabian Peninsula that now it's high time for them to wake up. The sincere ones are behind bars, but there's still some floaters around. Can they, can't they come out and speak truth to power? This regime put an end to everything historical about the Prophet. You cannot go to Mecca today and see anything that existed in the time of the Prophet except the Kaaba. That's all. What happened to the homes of Abi Bakr and Omar and Uthman and Imam Ali and Hassan and Hussein and Khadija and Amina? Where are they? Nowhere around. Nothing. The house of Khadija has turned was turned by these Saudi royals into a toilet. 
What do you say to that? If it what in 1925, one version of history says, in 1925, these types of Wahhabi Salafis, they wanted to demolish the Prophet's grave. Why didn't they do it? They didn't do it because you and I were very opposed to them. They knew that they could get away with doing something like that at that time. We don't know what the consequences would have been. But they didn't do it because the British told them not to do it. The British knew when, when the extremism of these Salafis would be self-destructive. They, they wanted their extremism, but they didn't want the extremism of their extremism. And they told them, don't do it. And we can't now, at this time, we can't see what's going on. If they're planning a war, we can't open up people's eyes, stimulate people's thoughts, focus people's attention that a war is coming. If you're listening to the fiqh that is produced by the Arabian royals, you'd probably think this khutbah is not a khutbah. But if you're listening to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to his prophet, you would say this is the way the khutbahs should be everywhere and anywhere. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzukna tiba'ah. وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا وجعلنا للمتقين إماما اللهم اهدنا فيمن هديت وعافنا فيمن عافيت وتولنا فيمن توليت وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا شر ما قضيت فإنك تقضي ولا يقضى عليك وإنه لا يذل من واليت ولا يعز من عاديت تباركت ربنا وتعاليت فلك الحمد على ما قضيت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك وصلى الله على محمد وآل محمد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول